This week is David Jacober of Dope Body and Holy Ghost Party. Before we begin, I want to announce one thing. As of today, all height releases that were not on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and Spotify, they're now all there. Actually, not true. 90% of them are there, but... It's, you know, 15 albums or something that weren't there before. So check them out. As always, this artwork is by Mike Riley. My man really uh, stumped me with this cover, but I eventually figured it out. And as always, we are being hosted by SpliceToday.com. Let's Let's go go in. I grew up in Arbutus, which is a town in Baltimore County in Maryland. Now that I go back to it, I think it's actually a pretty, pretty um, peaceful, just kind of low key, kind of generic suburbia. Um, it's mainly all white. There's, there's actually, you know, it's like it's cool because it like borders on the city, so there's like some diversity, but it's also like this, just like kind of almost seems like a fairy tale suburb to me. Like yeah. in this weird way, this like this like lost town. Like uh what's that movie with Brendan Fraser where he like lives in that weird town? Uh where he's like <laughs> Um I feel like there's a butterfly in the title. Anyway. Uh I think I think it was a pretty good neutral zone to grow up in. Yeah. Um, not a lot of great influence, but you know, enough space to do something if you wanted to. Yeah. Like, not a lot to kind of, not a lot of, like, different stuff to pull from, like, you know, but also, like, in general, a really nice place to grow up. Was it hard to deal with these, these white boys? Oh, no, actually. Really? Not really. I don't, I don't, I mean, yeah, but no, no worse than, like, anywhere else. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, people there who you know I grew up with that I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, want to associate with now but at the same time like they were my friends then and you just kind of make friends with who's around I guess or at least yeah. I have I mean I started doing music around the time I was 12 or 13 yeah and um that was once we lived in Hailthorpe and um my parents were actually really supportive and really cool about um not only like supporting me and letting me drum in their house, which must have been extremely annoying, but um, I found this out a few years ago that my, when my dad, um, there, when I was born, my dad sold his drum set, but before that, he was drumming for like a long time mm. and like just kind of gave it up. But like when he was my age, or actually when he was my age, he had his first kid. So that's, that's yeah. a little different, but um, different generation, whatever. Anyway, um, yeah, he, like, kind of inspired me to play drums and, like, embraced it. And then I just, I went with it and I just, it's, I don't know, it was just, I got really lucky 
with just supportive parents that also had a love for music. There was, like, bands playing in my basement, like, almost every night. Yeah. And just because they were nice enough to, like, let us be down there. And I think it actually made them feel better because they were like, whatever he's doing, at least we know where he is. Yeah. And what he's doing. Yeah. Which is better than not knowing. Totally. Um, And, you know, I guess they could put up with it. What were the bands like? Horrible. I mean, (laughs) the first band I ever had was this... Really, this is really embarrassing, but this band it was called uh it was called Funky Brewster. Yes. It was me on drums, um, this guy Eddie, who lives in the area now on bass, and this guy Bo on guitar, and it was basically like a classic rock instrumental jam band, and it was horrible. Mm. That was the first band. And then there were like emo bands to follow and like hip hop bands and like all this other shit and like all kinds of different stuff, but um, and then there was also just a lot of me drumming by myself. Yeah, did you feel at the time like these are just practice bands, or did you feel like yeah, this is this is it? I mean, I never, I always felt sure about music, like I was going to be doing it for life either way. Right. And I knew a lot of the people that at the time that I was with were like not really like gonna you know stick with it yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Because just for whatever reason, just life happens. And But actually, it's funny because one of the first people I played music with it is Zach, who actually plays guitar with me in Dope Body mm. and Holy Ghost Party. And has been like a lifelong like music-making partner is uh, and, and best friend. is Like, we met when we were 17, so we've been playing since then. And where did you guys start playing? Um, the first time we ever played together was in the gospel choir at Mount St. Joe High School. Me on drums and him on guitar, just the same way it is now. That was the first context we, like, actually played in. Yeah. Together. What was, like, Mount St. Joe like? I mean, it's an all-boys private Catholic high school. Yeah. So it's automatically really fucking weird if you're not a religious person. Right, right. And, uh, I mean, even from an early age, I kind of, like, rejected, like, you know... The religious like institution yeah um not saying that i'm not like a spiritual person but like being raised like as a catholic i never really accepted it like even in sunday school as like a young boy just being like i was asking these questions that like could only be answered with like you know you have to have faith and like that was unacceptable for me from like even an early age yeah and that never went away right right so um that experience you know it was challenging in that way but luckily like music saved me throughout that experience because i played drums in the gospel choir all four years and the gospel choir director uh sue Esserwan was amazing mm. um and i learned a lot from her and then i also got to play drums all four years in the uh jazz band oh yeah so i had enough stuff to keep me interested and like kind of happy to where i could ignore like the horrible like religious aspects of it right. which I'm not saying are horrible for everyone but for me it was really annoying totally yeah not it's, to mention the fact that it was all boys but maybe in some regards that was easier because you didn't have to deal with all this like machismo bullshit yeah did you have Tim as a teacher actually I did have Tim as a teacher yeah Tim Cabrera um, he was my English teacher I think my sophomore year at the time I didn't realize that he was actually um, 
like coming down and being a part of the music scene in like the DIY scene yeah. in Baltimore. Um, I didn't even know like what that was at the time. Right, right. But he's been in it and still is. Saying like you didn't realize what that DIY scene was. What how did how did you enter it? Because um when Zach and I were at Towson together, we also had some other friends that were living at the copycat at the time. Oh yeah. Um and we just kind of filtered in, I guess. Yeah. And got our minds blown. And then we were like Yes, well, we, we live here, like, let's start doing stuff. And then within a few years, like, we had stuff that was accepted for whatever reason. And then yeah. Dope Body started, and yeah. What were the, the things going on that your mind was blown by? Um, I remember specifically the first thing I saw was um, in the copycat on the B-side. One thing I saw was a show that Ponytail, or no, sorry, Excuse me, not ponytail. It was ecstatic sunshine when um, when Dustin Wong and Matt Pappage were doing that together. Yeah, and that w- I walked in and that was happening, and I was just like, like just yeah, really just kind of blown away. Totally. And I was like, this is something that, and I mean, I was going to school for music at the time. Yeah. So to see something so raw and so energetic and so beautiful, and just you know, so kind of next level just was really influential and then from then on i just knew like where it was at i guess for holy ghost party what would be the first like when and where was was like the first show our first shows were like house shows oh cool. i really can't remember the first one yeah it seems like this thing that's been going on for so long i really can't remember the first one zach might know but i think it started with like small like house shows like in living rooms and stuff they were actually like all electronic like i wasn't even playing drums at first or anything oh okay um but i honestly don't remember that's okay yeah i wish i did (laughs) and what year did dope body form i think 2009 was there like a thesis of that band of Dope Dope Body? body yeah um no not really i mean there was this kind of Basically, Zach and I were already, we had a studio at the old current space on Calvert Street. I had a studio there for a while, and Zach and I were going down there and jamming or whatever, just messing around, and um, Andrew lived with us at the time of the copycat, and he was like expressing interest in just kind of like going down there and messing around with us, but yeah. we were like, this is really interesting, because he doesn't really play music, so I wonder what he'll do. And he had a microphone, and I just put, like, a little delay on it, and I recorded it all in four-track, and we just started jamming, and he, like, flipped out and, like, just really went for it, and he brought this aggression out of us that I don't I don't think it would have come out otherwise, but he brought this aggression out of us that, like, he and he, all of a sudden there was this vibe, and it was, like, really heavy. And I recorded it, and that's basically what 20 Pound Brick is. Mm. Our first, like, tape yeah. release or whatever. Kind of sounds like that was something that was, like, in him already. Like, he knew that that was... Right. Well, he had been around us playing music a lot, because this was actually the second time we lived with him. We lived yeah. in, in a house in Hamden before that, and he had been around us playing music so much, and I think he just got inspired and was like, I would like to be a part of that, and then he got a chance to do it, and then he, we did it. Yeah. It seemed to me like you guys really quickly like 
got like a following. Do you feel like that's true? I think so. Yeah. I think it's true. I mean, there was only so many like bands with good players that, you know, do that kind of music. And yeah, at the time there was still like a pretty good amount of, um, people around to like go to those shows and they, they, they responded to that energy and just kind of, I don't know why, but I do, I do think that we had a pretty good like lift off or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. At the time, I think it was just so much energy. We all were pouring so much energy into it that it was kind of hard to deny. Yeah. It's just how it started and just kind of like drew energy to it. Right, right. Or something just because of where we were at. Um, At the time when we were doing that, we were kind of in the same place as all those younger Micah kids that were coming to the shows because we were like 21 or whatever, 20, 21. And um, all these people were responding to it. And we didn't feel like, oh, man, we're playing to these kids. We were like, cool, we're getting, like, respect from our peers, and we're doing what we want, and it's really fun. And this just whole, like, snowball of energy started happening. And then, right. You guys definitely unapologetically kind of are like, we're, we're a rock band. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like many bands that are essentially just a rock band, like, will do anything to not be called that. Like, I mean, if you would, if you could... Like see a list of all the genres of stuff that people have called us in reviews and everything like that. Yeah, it's totally ridiculous. So why not just be like a blanket like we're rock. Like, right, right. Because whatever we do is like we're gonna be like we've been called art punk, bro rock, uh, noise punk, noise rock. All these like weird like s- specific genres that are really yeah. like annoying to us because. We're pretty diverse in the music that we make. Right. I feel like, and it's all kind of under this umbrella of like heaviness or like whatever, just kind of. It's just, yeah. it's just easier to just be like, we're a rock band. Right, right. I've noticed in like coverage of you guys, like, like say you said like bro rock, like, mm-hmm. like what the like, fuck does that yeah. even mean? That is not a real thing. It's not a real thing, and it's not something that anyone wants to be called. Yeah, yeah, it's not like it almost has like an like um you know automatic negative connotation. It's like calling a band like hipster rock or something right. like that. Like it makes no <laughs> right. fucking sense. Like it's music. It's, yeah, it's not about like a genre label, but people are gonna do it anyway. So whatever. I think what they're in a misguided way like trying to get to is something that's awesome about you guys which is you work in influences that have kind of been like banned from music and we're not ashamed of it yeah we're embracing it we're pretty honest about all that stuff i mean we're not trying to say it's anything it's not right right so it can just be what it is i don't know when people are like yeah they're like rage against the machine or something like but we're not right i mean i get where people yeah. say that because Rage Against the Machine's guitar is really, like, out there and really just kind of experimental and, like, rock-oriented, but also um, they get tones that are just innovative. Yeah. And Zach's the same way. And then also a lot of our songs are, like, very, like, heavy groove-oriented, and so right, is Rage. Right. Yeah. But... I guess what it comes down to for me, which you might feel the same way, is like 
how could you think that's like a tight compliment? No artist wants to hear that they sound like something else. Yeah. But it's inevitable. Right, right. So I guess once you realize that, somebody says you sound like something that you think is really cool, you just take it as a compliment and just be like, let it go. I, I sort of went through like identity crisis with some of that stuff because it's like, I sort of started to feel like if everything I do is coming off like an impression of Kid Rock, like, like, can, can that, there's like a lot of whack like dudes in like bar bands that do like impressions of other bands oh, yeah. and stuff. So it's like, if I just seem like this other thing, uh-huh. is there any, I feel like there's no room in, in like, music for like right. something that's like a copy of, of something else for, sure you know what i mean absolutely but, but it's know. funny because there is and people forget people forget about the original stuff however old it is and then when someone else copies it like 20 years later or more they're like this is the most original thing i've ever heard mm. there's a lot of different styles of rock that like can get ripped off yeah and if enough time goes by and, like, a new generation hears it, they react to it in the same way, like, it's something new again. Yeah. And the band knows they're ripping it off, but they're, like, unapologetically, like, ripping it off. Right. <laughs> but the fans don't. Right. And it's kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I don't, I can't think of, like, a specific example right yeah. now, but I, it's something I've noticed for sure. It's just always kind of a bummer to see a band get, like, really popular off of like someone else's sound mm, yeah where it's just kind of like this isn't even like creative right you're just right. like throwing yourself into this formula that you know will work and like it's just really boring yeah it, it's weird it's like I'm not gonna like say any names but like you know I'm sure you've you've seen it do you find yourself at odds with that ever like like the type of scene that you yeah. are in sometimes yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, but I mean, I think we're still getting a lot of great opportunities that, like, a lot of bands aren't getting, and um, I'm still grateful for, like, all those, and, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say we're, like, really, like, successful, like, monetarily, but, like, we do get to travel a lot, and, yeah. like, we're going to Europe for, like, the sixth time oh, shit. Um, in, in September, and, like, got, like, our sixth record coming out, and, like, yeah. it's pretty awesome, like, I'm, I mean, yeah, I find, I've, I find that we're not, like, as popular as a lot of other things, but we're staying true to, like, what we want to do, and we keep doing it, and it's fun, and I think people respect that, and, like, we respect that. But, yeah, no, I think, actually, sometimes I feel like we're, like, some of the last people, like, carrying a torch, like, we're the last Mohicans, like, just kind of trying to represent for, like, that live energy that I think being lost a lot in yeah. nowadays music, where it's all just, you know, the same drum tones and... The same beats and the same stuff and like we bring a raw energy that you can't really get that many places yeah totally it's pretty rare to actually get that amount of energy from any live performance you'll see and yeah. i think that's like what we're all about and that's how we started and that's what we're trying to hold on to to back up a little bit like when did you guys first tour one of our first tours was actually with ed schrader and devlin Oh, nice. Um, I think that was in probably 2010 or 2011. I can't quite remember, but mm. we did like a little U.S. tour. It was mainly like East Coast and Midwest. 
that was really funny because it was in this box van that had one bench seat kind of just bolted into the floor in the back, two seats in the front, just the driver and the passenger, and then this like metal grate behind it. No seat belts, no anything. There was four of us. Um, this is when Jesse Lau used to be our bass player. It was his van. There's no windows or anything. There's four of us, and then Ed and Devlin. So there's really only four seats. So at any given time, there was two or more people like on the floor just with no seatbelts, and it was just like this fucking tin can of sardines like cruising down the highway. Yeah. It was really, really dangerous and annoying. And That's crazy. But also really great, and that's kind of like the first dope body tour I remember. But yeah, you know, Ed always says like, when you're talking about something dark, he'll be like, "Crack a light," and he'll like turn on the light. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't seen. We had this little like Walmart like circular light where you just like stomp on it and just bam, and like the light comes on. Yeah. So like when stuff gets dark, you just crack a light. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. He's an awesome tour mate. Yeah, he is. And Devlin as well. Absolutely. Did you feel like you guys were like getting across in some way on these tours? Like this or, Not really. It was yeah. just we, we did so many like East Coast and Midwest runs. And after our first um vinyl release came out on um Black Tent Press in LA, which we got as like a split vinyl with this band Orphan from um Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Uh, we st- we played a show with them at Golden West kind of early on, and then um, they were like, let's put a label out with our friend Dirk. He runs this label, Black Tent Press, in L.A., and Dirk used to work for Drag City, and once he put our stuff out and became a fan, he was like hitting up the people at Drag City, like, you need to check these guys out, do something with them. Anyway, we went to Chicago like multiple times, and Drag City and Thrill Jockey people were there. Like and this happened like three or four times before finally Drag City was like, "Hey, do you want to put out a record with yeah. us?" But it was funny because like Thrill Jockey at that point had so many Baltimore bands like Future Islands and Thank You and um, probably more than that that I can't think of right now. Yeah. But um, so we expected them to hit us up first, but yeah. no, Drag City did. So yeah. Do you feel like things kind of like picked up from there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because once that happened. Um, we also got a European booking agent sort of not necessarily through them, but I think once they were putting out our record, it it was like more of a possibility. And then we started being able to tour Europe. Yeah. And uh, they found us like a U.S. agent as well. So, Like, how does that work? Like, because I've only done one European tour and it was like, it's like DIY. Like, mm-hmm. if you're like not yet known in Europe, but you got the booking agent. Like, what kind of tour did they set up for you? I mean, it was weird. Um, the first tour was, like, a, in the fall. It was, like, lots of, like, small club shows. Um, and a lot of the shows, there was hardly anyone there. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot more, like, budget there for venues and government like subsidies and yeah. whatever they they pay venues and they support like local art spaces so there's still more money there um but we were like this is great we're getting fed we're getting a place to stay like the hospitality is way better totally. and then the next time we went after that we played like primavera sound 
and Valais Sonic in Paris and all these like cool festivals. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I still don't totally understand like how it happened. Mm. Um, but I guess, I guess it's a lot of, for us, it was just word of mouth. Like, yeah, check these dudes out. These guys are cool. Like this music is cool. Check this out. Like from one person to another. And then it just worked out. Yeah. I really can't say cause I'm not totally sure. But it's definitely lucky. I feel lucky. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I earned it. I worked to to get it. But at the same time, I still feel lucky because I know there's a lot of people who work to get it and don't get it. Totally. I mean, honestly, for us, I think our strength is like our live performances. And yeah. for us, it's a very organic growth. It's not based on hype. Yeah. Or like just like flavor of the month kind of like popularity. Yeah. Boost. It's more just like we bring like a live energy that like if people enjoy it, they remember it. And then the next time they bring a couple friends and it's just very organic growth that way. And yeah. we've seen it in Baltimore and New York and, you know, we're not really big on touring the States just cause it's so brutal. And we don't actually have a U.S. booking agent right now, but yeah. Um, in Europe, we've really noticed a little bit more like growth and it's good. So Europe is like, where you guys tour now yeah i mean we're for i'm i know we're gonna do more u.s touring but for right now our the only person actively booking us like full length tours is in europe yeah and we're not getting that here um and we've tried to get on support tours but for whatever reason like it's hard it's hard for us to get a support tour because i don't know why i really i really don't know why but i think part of it has to do with like we're such a like such a raw like live energy that uh a lot of times like bands don't want us to open for them because it's like doesn't make any sense. Right, right. Like I wouldn't want to play after us if I was like another rock band. You know? Yeah. It's like yeah. we're gonna like wind up on the floor and like people are gonna be like covered in dirt and mud and sweat and like how do you really I don't know, thanks to Andrew, I mean he takes it there. Yeah. But it's kind of hard to I don't know. I guess we're not, we don't really, also, it's like, we're not really, we don't really fit into any, like, exact genre where it would make total sense for us to tour with anyone in particular, so. Yeah, but it sort of seems like the right thing would be, like, those kind of... We've always wanted to do just a really good, like, support tour. Right, right. In the States, and, like, it just never happened. We don't get invited to play festivals, like, just, I mean, we have, but really only in Europe. Like, we're not... We're not really on the radar because we're not, we're not, to take a quote from 3-6 Mafia, we're the, most, we're the most known unknowns. And people want to ask, they want to know what the title means. It means we're known, <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> we're unknown. Well, like, what is this new stuff? Like, like, is, as much as you feel comfortable divulging, like, like, what is, like, the new... The newest dope out Well, yeah. first of all, we have one release coming out in August, which is called Kunk, um, which is basically leftover um, improvisations from when we recorded Lifer. Yeah. And we took those, edited them, kind of fleshed them out a little bit, stretched them out, looped them, did whatever. Andrew found portions of it that he really liked to work with. And then um, we made tracks out of them. And that's what that release is. And that's coming out August 28th. But 
since Zach and I have this like fluid ability to just kind of like play together and jam and then just turn it into stuff like that's what we did for our holy ghost party release coming out on east august 21st as well but since it's still like the same core it's like we can go in the studio with dope body in mind yeah jam record it for six hours which is what we did this weekend we recorded six hours of like raw like improv shit yeah and then we're just gonna go through overdub chop out like the hottest stuff and then like work with that. So this this stuff is basically starts with like electronic loops that Zach has made and then I drum to them and then we like they just develop. Yeah. And then we just jam on them for like 20 minutes or whatever. And then we'll take like 2 minutes of that out, chop that out and then just like loop it or do whatever to it. That's awesome. And that's, like, what we're doing right now. But as far as the way it sounds, it's really thick, like, dense, textural, dancey, like, industrial. There's techno moments. There's hip-hop moments. There's, And then there's also just, like, straight-up, like, sludge with, like, weird electronics. You know, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's all pretty heavy, but it's it's got this, like, dark kind of churning, like, uh, club feel. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. It's way more danceable than anything we've ever done. Mm. Like Baltimore for, Club for one feel? Thing. No. Okay. No, more like house or like industrial oh, or like wow. like minimal techno or something. Cool. But all kind of like a little bit dark. Is there anything else you want to mention? Um, I do want to mention uh, a couple of the releases I have coming out this summer. So I already told you about the Holy Ghost Party tape on yeah. East coming out August 21st. Um. August 28th, the Dope Body Records coming out on Drag City Records. Um, and in late July or early August, I don't have definite dates yet, I have two different um, solo releases coming out. One of them is called The Gray Man. It's a instrumental uh, marimba dub classical kind of vibe. It's coming out on table in Geographic oh. North, which is an Atlanta label. Mm. Um, and then John Jones from Dope Body also has a label called Player Press, and I'm putting out an instrumental marimba, vibraphone, and live effects tape with him uh, around the same time. Oh, that's awesome. So I have four things coming out this summer. That's awesome. Yeah. But that's it. Other than that, <laughs> I don't have anything to mention. Tight. Well, yeah. thank you so much. For yeah, man. On, thank man. you. My pleasure. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>